Hey folks, Jason Moore here, excited to share this episode with you as I think it's going to be an instant favorite in the lineup for anyone interested in elite level performance or fitness optimization. Don Moxley joins us and he shares extensive detail about the specific tests that he runs with athletes that have contributed to national championship titles and how he uses HRV and other key metrics He's pretty much able at this point to predict who will perform the best and who will struggle in elite level sport competitions, which is really interesting stuff. Um, But before we dive in, a quick and exciting announcement about our new HRV finger sensor that was just released. The number one issue that people have with HRV tracking is dealing with putting on a chest strap first thing in the morning. We've heard this time and time again. And our new device, CoreSense, changes this completely. It lets you slip on this device onto your fingertip for two minutes, and then you can capture accurate HRV values, and then you're done. No need for adhesives, no need for chest straps or expensive 24-7 wearables. CoreSense is also completely open. You can use it with any HRV app. You can take the raw data and use it for research or do whatever you want to do with it. There's nothing hidden or obscured. And it is now live on Kickstarter for pre-ordering, and the launch page includes videos, charts, and all the detailed information that you could want to know about it. And it was designed specifically from the ground up for accurate and convenient HRV. There's links to that over at EliteHRV.com, or just search on Kickstarter for CoreSense, that's C-O-R, Sense, all one word, and... uh, Quick note, the early bird units have already sold out, but there's still some big discounts available over there on Kickstarter for a limited time, so check it out. And with that, we will dive into the episode. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore. And today we have Don Moxley joining us from Ohio. And Don works closely with the Ohio State wrestling team as the staff on that team. And Don, we were just talking about before the show, you usually have your foot in the door in in several different arenas and have several things going on at a time. So um, thanks for taking the time to join us here. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, gladly. Could you maybe tell us about a little of what you have going on and how you, I liked what you said before, right before we started about foot in the door in different arenas. Yeah, it, um, so to start it off, I'm, I'm an exercise physiologist and I'm an alumnus of the wrestling team. I captained the team back in 1985 and, um, it was in my, it was in my, my personal preparation trying to be an trying to be a, an athlete that I fell in love with the with the whole science of human physiology I I came to Ohio State with every intention of going home and feeding beef cattle I grew up on a big farm in eastern Ohio but um, through challenges that I had as an athlete from both performance and injury I had to I had to figure it out and that's what that's what eventually pushed me into exercise science and exercise phys and I, I did my graduate work there but um, so, you know, finished up here and, and, and between then and now, it's been kind of a unique existence that um, I've, I, I rarely have a single job or a single client at a time. And, and I have a foot in, in athletics. Currently, I have a, a big foot in athletics. That's the primary work I'm doing. But I've normally got one of my feet either in academics or in the industry. Um, you know, I've taught at the university level for about 30 years now. Um, but along the way, uh, about, uh, well, it was almost uh, 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to go work for Polar, the heart rate monitor company. And, um, and, you know, this is back when we were still teaching people to measure heart rates with two fingers on the carotid. <clears throat> and right. I, <laughs> and I, I, I all of a sudden figured out the value of continuous heart rate monitoring and, and having that kind of data. And I'm a, I'm a real... I'm a real tech kind of a person, uh, so putting me in a company like Polar was like just giving crack to an addict. Um, 
and you know had an opportunity to work for them for quite a while and learn a lot about the technology you know they were they were early integrators of of hrv technology um you know left there uh several years ago left them several years ago uh rolled back into the academic environment uh you know was the 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 director of a program at a small college in western ohio but then had the opportunity to come over here and work with Ohio State starting about four years ago with their wrestling team again. And um, so that's kind of been my pathway uh, in the industry. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're, it's like you just mentioned, you had a foot in industry and in academia and actual practice of exercise phys in the field and uh, or on the mat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, and, and Ohio State has been doing quite well so um congratulations on a lot of the work that you've put into that oh we've got a we've got a phenomenal head coach we've got a guy that that recruits high quality athletes and again i've been blessed uh to get to work with a a group of of athletes that are that are are really just this very top notch you know one of the guys that we've got in the room uh just won his uh third world or olympic title um and along the way beat the best wrestler in the world to, to achieve that goal. Um, so when you've got, when you're able to construct your data sets with people like that contributing, you know, it's, it's just a real blessing and, and they're just good kids. And, uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's Kyle's not just my, not the only, I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, we've got 32 kids on the team right now and they all just put their heads down and do a great job. And they're, they're, they're good kids. That's fantastic. Yeah, the recruiting side of that is is huge for sure. What type of data do you typically track with your athletes? So um, we actually just wrote this up yesterday for our for our athletic director. We we test in in four major domains. Um, obviously, with a weight class sport like wrestling, we spend a lot of time looking at body weight, body composition. Um, so from a, from a body composition standpoint, uh, we've got some great assets here at Ohio State. I have DEXA tables, so all my athletes get DEXA twice a year. Um, <clears throat> wrestling has a certification program, uh, so they'll get skinfold measurements using wrestling-specific equations at least twice, and we mo- I monitor quite a bit. So when I've got an athlete that I'm keeping an eye on, I'll use skinfolds uh, uh, throughout the season. We track their weight. Uh, once we really get into the grind, we're tracking their weight daily. Um, we have found that, that the ability for an athlete to keep his weight close to his weight class um, is a real uh, performance indicator. That The guys that cut too much weight um, really take a hit on performance. So body composition is the first domain. Uh, the second is we track a lot of strength parameters. Um, we look at the regular, so we're collecting data from every workout. We're looking at key lifts, uh, deadlifts, bench presses, and squats. Uh, the only one that really has significance is the deadlift. That's the only one that really has predictive value for us. Um, we also do uh, power profiling. We use force plates um, to take a look at uh at, 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 at the entire force profile because, you know, at the end of the day, we want our athletes uh, early in March to be as powerful as they can be. So we put a measure on that. Um, and, we, and we look at things like movement screens. Um, you know, are they moving? Is there, is there some, is, you know, I call it, is there a hitch in their giddy up? You know, is there something that, that, that we can find that, that's not showing up normally? So we'll, we'll throw a movement screen. So that's kind of our strength domain uh cardiovascularly we have found to be a very powerful uh uh, performance indicator for us um we do a 3k run so i don't do formal vo2 assessments we use a 3k run uh three or four times a year and from that we extrapolate a vo2 um and that helps us uh put a marker on that we can compare to performance um we use uh we use an exercise bike uh, that comes from a company out in Tulsa, Oklahoma called SciFit. And, and what makes this bike unique is that I can program a wattage-based workout. So once we find their critical wattage, their threshold wattage, um, we can program that wattage into the bike. And the bike will also save the workout to a little USB key. So we're tracking every 
um, every cardiovascular workout they do on those bikes. So we see average wattage and average heart rate. Um, and we're also, we're just installing a, an environmental heart rate system this year. So we'll be measuring the guy's uh, internal load uh, while they're wrestling this year. Um, Polar's come out with a shirt where we can move the the transmitter up behind the scapula um, in between. So we'll be measuring, we'll be measuring heart rates on our, on our top two lineups, our top 20 guys. Um, so that's our cardiovascular domain. And then the, the fourth domain is readiness. Um, so we look at, uh, uh, we look at HRV and all the HRV characteristics. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, we, we're in a relationship uh, here at Ohio State with the um, Air Force Research Lab out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which brings us just some tremendous assets. So we have, uh, we have uh, 20 Omega Wave kits uh, that will be, you know, the kids that are in competing, they'll be getting measured daily starting here in about a month once we start our, once we start our real 20-hour week prep. And when I have athletes that are... Um, they're flagging for outliers. Uh, one of my, uh, uh, one of our alumnus, a former teammate of mine, generously donated a first beat system to us. So I have the ability to do 24, 48 hours, 72 hour studies. So if someone's flagging for some reason, or when I have a new athlete come in, I wire them up so I can just, so I can just see what their, what their readiness profile looks like. So, you know, our four domains, body composition, strength, cardiovascular, and readiness. That's what we really pay attention to. That's, that's fantastic. That's, um, I mean, if folks are scribbling notes down right now, then I think they've already gotten enough in this five minutes, uh, to have months or if not years of things to try to look into. Um, so that's great that there's a lot there. So let's kind of break it down a little bit piece by piece. You said movement screens, you typically do like functional movement screening. Is that through the FMS program or? Yeah. Our, um, our strength and conditioning staff and our athletic training staff have all been FMS um, certified. So um, I'm able to set up a day and, and bring them in. And, and, and we're really only screening once a year, once or maybe twice. You know, we'll get it in here. Now that the guys are back in the room and really starting to roll, um, we'll start to get an FMS in and just just looking for outliers. You know, Jason, this is what I'm this is what I'm finding. We collect a lot of data, um, but I, I don't look at most of it. The thing I'm looking at, I'm looking for the outliers. I'm looking for someone who's maladapting to our process uh, so that we can intervene there. Um, and, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm look, That statement I made was probably incorrect. I look at everything, but the stuff that I react to are the outliers. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Um, and like, it makes total sense. You wouldn't be able to see the outliers if you weren't looking at all the data, right? So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it makes complete sense. And those outliers are the ones that have the most potential for you to for your in an intervention to make a big impact. Yeah, um, you know, I read a, um, you know, the two things that I like to really go back and refer to, um, I describe what we do as, you know, it's essentially money ball for wrestling. Um, but another really good book that I read several years ago that really helped me shape this was, uh, the book, the signal and the noise, uh, by Nate Silver. Um, if you're, if you're working in, in the athlete prep business or in, in any of the human prep businesses, being able to, being able to separate what is signal from what is noise is, is really the uh, key element. I like that. Definitely. And that's kind of, it aligns a lot with how we've kind of tried to set up our system where folks can kind of track HRV on an ongoing basis. And we try to automatically flag outliers for them because those are really the ones that you need to pay most attention to. It's good to look at all the other stuff just so that you know what an outlier is. Mm -hmm. And, but then when those outliers do pop up, so the movement screens, that's interesting. You know, FMS is pretty widespread, um, folks listening, even if you're not on a high performance wrestling team, for example, you can probably find somebody in your locale that can measure FMS screen, um, which might be interesting to folks. So, well, the, the other thing I'll tell you on that is when I was, um, so I, you know, I was in the classroom up until uh, three years ago, and in preparing exercise scientists to move into the field, um, 
if if you're a pro in this business, you should at least get the book. Um, get the book, and re- you can get the electronic version of the book for ten bucks, I think, or sixteen dollars oh, nice. um, from that publisher. And um, don't just use the concepts of FMS from a screening standpoint. That these concepts apply to you know when you're watching kids move when you're watching athletes lift when you're any of these movement you you develop an eye for movement and that is a real asset um so like i said just get the book i mean i think the hardback cover of i think the hardback version is like 70 dollars. but again the electronic version I'm, I'm pretty sure is less than 20 bucks that's fantastic that that is a great piece of advice to integrating things that you learn from screening processes in general, or especially in the movement world. I mean, people like say, oh, I'm going to go get my gait analyzed or something Mm -hmm. like that. Well, if you just go get your gait analyzed and then you never think about your gait again, (laughs) it's probably not going to do much for you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So you mentioned you used uh, power and force plates on, do you use those on all the major lifts or do you just focus on power force output on the deadlift specifically? No, what we're doing with our with, uh, with our force plate is we have contracted with the um, guys out at Sparta Science um, out in Menlo Park. They have done a pretty cool job of taking the the force plate process and creating algorithms that basically you take your athletes through these series of jumps and it spits out uh, it, it puts the athletes into buckets. Um, so, and again, it's a, it's, it's also a movement screen, but it's a movement screen under power. Um, so it's, it's been really nice working with them. Now I'll tell you, is is you know, this is kind of my sickness is that, you know, I was, I was talking to those guys about wanting to see a rate of force development number, um, and they can't spit that out of their system. So I'm probably going to back up. I'm probably going to do a secondary test with the guys to try and see just a, a functional rate of force development level because, because again, when we, you know, wrestling's funny that we start, um, we start our, our wrestling at the beginning of December and we finish, uh, you know, Ohio State wrestles in what's called the Big Ten Conference. And the big, you know, the Big Ten Conference is a pretty tough wrestling conference that, that typically, te- you know, 10 of the top Big Ten teams finish in the top 15 of the country. Um, you know, the, the, the top three in the country is, is between uh, Penn State, us, and Iowa. Um, so, so we've got to be on at Big Tens. Um, and then Nationals are two weeks later. And so, you know, we could lose every match up until Big Tens. But if my guys are on at Big Tens and at Nationals, then we're considered an elite program. Um, now, we obviously don't want that. Um, sure. But um, – but you know, with the force plates, uh, we we just added them. Uh, the the vertical jump numbers that we get. Um, one of the other things I do with my data is we take an end of, we take all our wrestlers' data and we break the wrestlers into four groups. Um, wrestlers that have achieved all American status. Um, we have wrestlers that we believe would be all Americans if they were in the lineup. So they either have a stud in front of them or they're red shirting. But, but we're, we're, you know, when, when you have a really good four time state champ come in and he's, you know, he's won Fargo, um, we're pretty sure that kid's going to be an All American if he's been in the lineup. So, so we have All American status is one, would be an All American is two. Our third group is, um, kids who are, who make the lineup, but probably won't make all American status or haven't made all American status yet. And then our group four are kids that are, you know, going in the lineup. They're not regular starters, but they get a match here and there. So, and then once we've categorized all our kids, we go back and look at all the data and see what is predictive of individual status acquisition. Um, and uh, vertical jump, uh, when we looked at the data last year, um, vertical had a Pearson correlation to 0.005 on uh, All-American status. So the All-American separated from the rest of the group, was the, the difference was 0.005. We had the same correlation with cardiovascular status. Um, so, so looking at physical – so physical prep is a big deal for us. Um, you know, we've got very talented kids. If you make it into the room, you're pretty talented. 
Um, but the difference between being all American status and not is physical prep. Um, that's, that's one of the big things that we looked at with, with the data we're collecting. Yeah, that's huge. That's, I mean, like you mentioned with the big 10 being a highly competitive conference and then in general, um, the competition increasing year after year is that you're going to have talented, talented athletes in all the top programs, right? So then it's up to you once they're in the door, then to kind of refine that and make all of those little, uh, incremental improvements. Now, let me go ahead and extend this into the HRV realm because you'll love this. Um, so, so last year we took, um, every match our guys wrestled. Um, so if they want to match five to three, they got a plus two score. If they lost five to three, they got a minus two score. So in wrestling, we have what's called a technical fall. So at a 15 point differential, the match ends. So that means we have a range that goes from minus 15 to plus 15. Then we went back and looked at athlete performance and compared athlete performance to, um, HRV status, um, and when we looked at HRV status, um, HRV status and what we call balance, uh, being in balance, not being sympathetic, not being parasympathetic, being in balance, uh, predicted up to a six point differential in performance. So we, you know, my, my point is, is we've got to figure out what are, what are the raw, what are the raw components? I need to have this athlete walk onto the mat with, um, with skills and physical prep. But I also, what we learned is that we've got to have that athlete ready. Um, I, I need to have them in balance when they step on the mat. So this was just a, a wonderful finding for us. That's huge. I mean, that's, it's great to hear. And it, it's always good. You know, we do a ton of research and, uh, but really the powerful, you know, gut check is, does it pan out in the real world? And, um, it's, it's awesome to hear that, especially balance being such a important predictor because people get so hung up on, you know, increasing parasympathetic, increasing recovery or, or decreasing sympathetic or, or whatever the situation is. But it's interesting that balance between those two of all things is the one that seems to correlate. Well, and if you think about it, it makes sense that, um, you know, there's, there, there's a, we're in a real hard, we'll be in a real hard training block the beginning of October as we go into November. So I'm going to, I'm going to expect the sympathetic numbers to spike. I'm going to expect some parasympathetic numbers to drop. Um, we're, we get real aggressive with re- recovery modalities at that point because, you know, we're pushing them as, you know, we're, we've got to move the needle somewhere. Yep. Um, because once we move into season and I'm dropping a match in every week, um, I can't have, I can't have this, I can't have this, this, uh, dominance one way or the other. Um, but, um, but when, but, and again, well, I have a, an opportunity at the beginning of January when we're coming off winter break, right before we start back into our dual meet season where I can get a real hard training block. So, you know, there's times when you expect the numbers to, 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 to say it, to, to drop. Um, but the real then then the value comes is when you have that at, we're back to the outliers when i have a kid who should be balancing or should be parasympathetic dominant um but they're rolling sympathetic dominant i got to figure out what's going on in their lifestyle that's that's driving that mm-hmm. and do you look at um i mean i'm assuming you of course have at least recommendations on nutrition and sleep and lifestyle things but how deep does that go um, yeah, right. So we have a, we have a really solid nutritional program here. Um, so Ohio State has a, their own dietetics program in athletics and, and Nicole, Nicole John Tony, the, the great thing about my dietitian is, um, she was a gymnast here and she married a wrestler. Um, oh, perfect. <laughs> so she, she, she has a, an appreciation for some of the, you know, some of the, uh, crazy stuff wrestlers do. Um, and, um, so Nicole is in there. Um, and then we get, then we're getting very aggressive with recovery modalities. Um, everything that r- runs from mindful, uh, we, we teach RSA breathing, um, before practice with visualization. We bring in RSA breathing with recovery and appreciation after practice. Um, we will, uh, with, with wrestlers that need it, we'll, we'll, we'll kick into a mindfulness meditation practice, uh, all the way up to using, um, uh, sensory deprivation floating, 
um, big tool for us that works very well. So I'm, uh, I, I love them. I love the recovery modalities. And again, we've got the assets that, um, we're able to measure the impact of each of them. Um, so we, we know we, we get a, you know, in strength, you got to figure out what exercise is going to move the needle for what you're trying to fix, whether it's movement or power output or, 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 or some other element. Well, with recovery, as you develop an appreciation for the value of the modalities, you can prescribe them more effectively too. That's fantastic. And for folks listening, I often get the question, what is active recovery and what can I do for active recovery? And there you go. There's some national champ athletes um, that are doing respiratory sinus arrhythmia guided breathing, which is that RSA breathing we were just talking about, practicing appreciation and recovery tactics after practice, breathing tactics after practice, and even mindfulness meditation if it, if it calls for it. And I like how, you know, through experience, you've been able to kind of figure out which of these modalities respond best or, or produce more recovery factors for different types of exercises or even different athletes may respond differently to each of these. Yeah, and it's the different kinds of stress. Um, one of the challenges that, that we have is that is, is dealing with the athlete-parent relationship. Um, and, and I've, I've kind of seen this from both sides. I, my daughter, um, plays lacrosse here at Ohio state now. And, um, she played travel lacrosse and travel hockey and, and, you know, she's, she's just a big physical, good athlete. So we, we, we got to travel with her to a lot of wonderful experiences. And I saw some really jacked up parents, um, that were living vicariously through their kids and just not doing them any favors. And on the other side of that is I have those kids, you have that athlete come in here. Um, so there's a lot of times when you have to sit an athlete down and, and again, teaching, you know, using mindful meditation to teach an 18 year old how to separate, um, the emotional response can be, can be a phenomenal tool. Um, because you, you can't change your parents. Um, and you're going to have to take the phone call. You're going to have to deal with, you're going to have to deal with that situation. But if we can, if we can learn the skills to be able to more effectively deal with it and separate the emotional response. So you don't get the, the sympathetic spike out of it. It makes a big difference. Wow. Yeah. And I imagine that there's, you know, that's probably a, a really strong, uh, situation but there's probably also just general you know uh athletes juggling studies or juggling financial stress oh, and absolutely we, we we had a situation last year where um uh i had a senior athlete and he was the most physical i uh, had the best 3k time had some of the best strength testing this kid had a, had a real had a real uh physically he was just he was great um now he wasn't one of our starters, so what that tells you is his technical wasn't quite high enough to be able to 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 do what he needed to do. But but he's you know he's one of he was one of our top twenty that were in the monitoring program, and then all of a sudden um, his numbers just tanked one week, and um, I'm like, wow, this is interesting. So I sit down with the athlete, and I, and I so he's in his um, he's in his last semester. He's an accounting major, and he was essentially failing two classes. Um, that if he fails, he can't, you know, in accounting, you've got that cycle that you got to go back through It put him a year out. And, um, and he was still trying to come to practice and his numbers were just horrible. And I, and I knew what was going on academically. And we just said, listen, go be a student. Um, because, and even if he was a starter, I think I would have had the same recommendation because, because academics, academics trumps everything. Okay. If, if you don't have it right, you're in trouble. And, um, and said, go, go get your, go get your accounting under control. Um, coming to practice. And this is an important point that I think everyone has to realize is that when you have that athlete that's, that's not recovering, that's under full stress, practice isn't benefit. They're not getting any benefit from practice. There's no training effect taking place. Um, you're probably just making the situation worse. So we, we sent him away, got his act together, got his classes together, 
passes two important midterms that he needed to pass, so the pressure is off, numbers moved right back to normal, back in the room, and, and graduated and, and is now as a working accountant today. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's amazing the kind of uh, effect that you get that you can see, whether it's a, a bad girlfriend experience or a parent experience or a class experience or, you know, we, it, it sure shows up. Yeah, that's fantastic. No, I like, you know, it's, it's important to recognize, even though these high performing athletes, like I was just joking about them being dangerous, I meant from the wrestling standpoint, but um, they still, you know, there's still real life to deal with. And it does mm-hmm. affect training and performance and recovery. And a lot of people, you know, may think, oh, okay, uh, you know, I'm uh, training for some type of event as a weekend warrior type thing or a recreational side gig, but have this full-time job, have a family, have a financial stress. I'm just going to push through it. But right, just like you said, you, you see in the numbers that it, when you're overstressed and under-recovered, that trying to push through training is not going to have the effect that you want. Well, and, and, and we've seen this, you know, I've, um, after I, when I finished wrestling in, in 85, I kind of stepped away from the sport from a, for a long time. I, I, I needed to create some space for myself. And I started to do a lot of work in cycling and triathlon. And um, so, so prior to my re-engagement with the wrestling team, I was doing a lot of work in cardiovascular sports. And again, if you pay attention to the data, uh, triathlon, for example, particularly half Ironman, full Ironman, you're training for four events, not three. The four events are uh, swim, bike, run, and recovery. And you have to coach the fourth. And, and truth be told, you can't train three, three of those functions at one time. Um, recovery will be your limiting factor. We've seen this too many times. Um, so yeah, and, and, and we see it with wrestling. Um, we have to train recovery. We have to pay attention to it and we've got the data to back it up. Um, you know, when we look at HRV, uh, RMSSD on HRV, it predicts it's, it's my strongest predictor of success in my athletes. It's stronger than weight cut. It's stronger than cardio. It's stronger than strength. That that RMSSD of my athletes. That when you see it graphed out, my my highest is my gold medalist. My second highest is my two time Olympian. My third highest is a national champion, which by the way has the same value as a CrossFit world champion, age group world champion. Um, you know, we we're we're to the point that when we go to Big Tens and nationals, I can tell you who won't be an All American. Um, now, I'm never going to send a kid there that I think's there anymore. But now that we've looked at it, I can tell who won't achieve that status. Um, and I'm really close to being able to tell who will be based on their readiness. And again, and again we've got technical. We've got conditioning. We, you know, my te- my, my, we've got great technical kids. I'm not worried about that preparation. It's, it's readiness that predicts success. Wow. Yeah, that's – I mean – my work here is done. I think we can just wrap up the uh, rest of the episodes of this podcast. And <laughs> it's um, no, that's really that's powerful data. I mean, it's like you said, if if it was all about just tracking one thing, you, then you wouldn't track all these other things. So they do play a, a role, definitely. But it's it's really powerful to hear that um, once the program is running, once the athletes in the door, and competition season is here then it's that readiness number, that RMSSD value that really helps know if you're moving the needle in the right direction or how performance is going to turn out. Yeah, let me let me give you one more story that we have that that um that actually this is what drove this is what brought me into the program. Up up until this time, uh the head coach and I had a great relationship. He had reached out to me as an alumnus and invited me to come back and talk to the team. Um and I got to give the I got to give the team talk to him before they went up and wrestled the University of Michigan. That if you follow Ohio State, this is a big deal. And so, you know, as an alumnus, I was thrilled to death with that. But um, but but Tom and I got to be good friends. And um, I have a lab in my house. Um, I'm I'm I have that level of sickness. Um, and and Tom 
Tom had been over and gone through testing and, and done, gone through the work that I do, liked it. Um, and he had a wrestler that it was, that he was struggling with. So in 2015, um, Ohio State had a situation where we had a wrestler who had, who had won three national titles and was coming back for his fourth national title. And there's, there's only ever been four wrestlers do that. Um, and we also had a freshman class that included uh, three wrestlers that have been not only been All-Americans every year. Uh, one of them was the Olympic gold medalist. One of them has been uh, – they've all finished in the top three in the country every year they've been here. So we have this great freshman class. Um, and Ohio State's never won a title up until this point. Um, but it's probably not quite enough points to win the title out of those four wrestlers. We need We need to get some points somewhere else. Well, we had a kid that was a very talented wrestler, three-time all three-time state champion from Pennsylvania, um, but was just chronically underperforming. Um, and and Tom calls me one day. He says, "Listen, I want to bring him over for testing." And um, I said, "Sure." You know, this is you know, I plugged him into my normal system and brings him over. And I, I and at the time, I used the thing I use for testing in this is I have a um, a Zephyr bio harness. Um, and um, I have a, what's called a Velotron bike ergometer. So it's a, it's a real high-end bike ergometer I bought myself as a treat several years ago. And um, the great thing about the Velotron is I can manipulate wattage watt by watt. It's a, it's a phenomenal erg. Um, so this wrestler comes in. I put the Zephyr on him. And, and so this is before we've done anything, any warm-up. He's standing there in his arm. SSD is about 10 milliseconds. Um, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Um, cause I normally won't put someone on the erg that's below 40 or 50. Right. Um, so I had him go, I had him go lay down in my facility and he lays there for about five minutes and our MSSD climbs up to about a hundred and I'm like, okay. And, and, and then I, when I called him back in, as soon as he stood up, it crashed back down to 10 milliseconds. Um, and I thought, okay. Uh, and I, here's how I interpret that as someone who's in stage four of overtraining syndrome. Um, probably some adrenal fatigue, whether we're in a failure yet or not, I'm not sure, but there's certainly fatigue there. And we put him on the bike and he came off the bike at about uh, 1.8 watts per kg where he should be 3.1, 3.2. And I said to Tom, I said, if you keep training this kid the way you're training him, uh, he won't get him through big tents. Um, and he said, what should we do? And um, I said, well, we've got, to, we've got to start to do prescribed workouts. We weren't really working with the recovery modalities then. But I, I sat him down and I said, um, I said, we need to pay attention to your sleep. And um, had to have a talk. And I had a talk with him and his girlfriend. And I said, listen, I need this guy in bed by himself in a dark room, cold, lights out. I want video games off at 10 o'clock. Um, so we, 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 we did a sleep hygiene intervention. Um, but then I would come into practice and we'd put the Zephyr on him and I threw, um, I threw training controls on him. I didn't want his heart rate above really a buck 65. Um, and so as long as he was drilling, it was fine. As soon as he started to go live, heart rate shot up into the nineties. Um, and I'm like, and I backed him off. So what was what was interesting about this? I'm in a room full of wrestling coaches that, and wrestling coaches believe if you want to get better, you work harder. Oh yeah. Um, and here's this guy in the room saying, "No, no, I want you to work less." Um, so we intervened on five workouts prior to big tens, um, and with only all we used was training caps, um, and we got him through Big Tens. He wound up finishing eighth in the Big Ten, but along the way, he had to score over ten points twice. And I'm like, I was like, okay, this is, uh, I'm okay with that. But then going in between Big Tens and Nationals, you essentially have ten training days that you have access to. Um, I brought him over and I put him on the erg every day, uh, and I did pure oxidative work because my hypothesis was. Um, he's getting a stress response because he spent doing too much glycolytic training. Um, you know, you're getting too much lactate. There's too much cortisol from that. And so we've got to, we've got to get a boost in the system that, 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 you know, your, your, your oxidative system eats your, eats your, uh, hydrogen ion and it eats your, um, uh, 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 glycolytic byproducts. Um, so we boosted it. So we did pure 
um, aerobic training on the bike or with only drilling in the wrestling room. Um, and on the fourth bike workout, um, his RMSSD rose after the workout. Up until now, he was coming in at 50, 60, uh, would finish the workout, would drop down in the 20s and 30s, come in 50, 60. But on that fourth workout, it actually improved after the workout. And I, that's what I was looking for. Um, and uh, he did one more workout after that and wound up going out to nationals and finishing fifth in the country. Um, so... The, the, you, can, you can use this science to intervene on a single athlete. You don't have to have the big groups um, because this is how we started um, with intervention on a single athlete. And, you know, it was funny because I go into a coach's meeting after and all of a sudden coaches are looking at me like, you know, okay, we're, we're ready. We're, we're ready to listen, um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> which, was, which was funny. But, um, but yeah, you – Again, I'm I'm kind of in a really cool situation where I'm able to collect a boatload of data, and we're and we're able to really establish um, what does it take to be an elite wrestler, uh, an all-American, world champion. Because um, and I'm only able to do that because I have those people in the room. Um, so once we have established the physical parameters necessary, we can profile every kid, figure out where your weaknesses are. And then my job is to create uh, support systems that guide and support the, uh, the, the achievement of our, of our standard. Um, so, but, but the, so you can work one athlete, a group of athletes, this science applies to all of them. Right. And even to the self, if folks are interested in their own self. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, like, I really like how, each phase you have, you know, you have your four groups of data that you focus on and each of them you've kind of collected and, and tried to run statistical analyses to see, is this correlating with what my outcome that I desire is? And you, you know, for example, you narrowed down that vertical jump power output and cardio status is highly correlative with all-American status when you group your athletes into performance groups. And, mm -hmm. you know, you could have been measuring, uh, or like you said, in the major lifts, you've had back squat and deadlift and all the major lifts. And it turns out that deadlift seems to have the most predictive value. But it, you wouldn't have known that if you just started with just deadlift and that's all you ever measured. So you have to kind of do a little bit of experimentation to see, right? And, and, and collect and collect the data. You know, the, the other thing that we've done here is I've done most of this work using simply using spreadsheets. Um, uh, we use Google Forms to um, to so I have managers. So we collect information, and I have I have some managers that I'm able to turn to. But we create use Google Forms to upload the data into the spreadsheets. Um, we then take the spreadsheets and use simple pivot tables and apply some graphics to the pivot tables. Um, uh, again, you know, being blessed to be in a place like Ohio State, I've had an intern for the last year out of our Fisher College of Business who's a big data kid um, who's just absolutely turned my spreadsheets into wonderful data gleaning machines. <laughs> um, awesome. And um, But we're doing this. We're not using an athlete management system. We're using free software to drive all this. It's just, um, you know, it's getting those assets lined up and, and kind of knowing, you know, having a feeling for where, you know, the same way I direct an athlete, I have to direct my intern on, okay, this is what I want to see and, and can you create this graph? And we look at it and we work together on it and say, is it telling us something that makes a difference? And if it's not, we scrap it and keep looking. Mm -hmm. and, and I like too how each of the pieces or each of the areas of data plays off of each other. And you mentioned that, you know, uh, when you're trying to improve something like cardiovascular status or something like that, you don't just ignore the other areas and let them fall off the boat. Um, and, and especially the one readiness, which of course I'm very interested in, is um, you need that data to actually guide the training and, and help with improving vertical jump or improving cardio status or improving, improving those 
lifts. A- absolutely, because um, I'm flying down to uh, Pensacola in November to talk to uh, um, some Navy special operators, and the in in the discussions as to w- w- what we're going to talk about. Um, readiness is still a little bit of a latent indicator that, that, you know, the golden fleece that we're looking for is what is the, what is the minimum training stimulus necessary to elicit the training response we're looking for? Um, this minimum effective dose, um, because, and so, and, and, and again, readiness in HRV is still just a slightly latent, I mean, we're either catching it the next morning or later in the day. And, you know, whether we've, you know, whether I've, you know, drilled the kid into the ground, it may be too late. So this is going to continue to evolve until we're able to identify that, that point. So we train, 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 and all of a sudden that light goes on and says, okay, we're done. Right. Uh, any more work is not going to contribute to growth. Um, so stop and let's go work on something else. And so we've still got work to do here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's um, – and I like how kind of the example is that given the tools available for the one athlete that uh, was kind of running themselves into the ground back when you were talking about it in 2015 – um, that you were able to at least make some decisions to say, let's cap the wattage output and keep them in the oxidative zone for training. And then let's see how the outcomes come for that. And eventually it's going to be real time in the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, 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 I think we're, I think we're certainly getting close to that. And, and, you know, Jason, what was interesting about that, my, my older brother, um, He's a doctor of veterinary medicine now, and he wrestled here before I did. He was two years older than I was. So we were, we were going back and talking. We had some teammates that were, that were just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I use the analogy, and this is an old farmhand analogy, that, that, listen, I have a room full of racehorses right now. I have elite thoroughbreds. Um, the program that I was in in 1980 through 1985, we were pack horses or quarter horses at best. Um, and you can't train a thoroughbred like you train a, a pack horse um, that they will break. And so we we had some of these kids come into our program that were just they were absolutely touched by God, but for some reason. They did not, they, they washed out of the program, either academics or social or something. There's a reason why they washed out of the program. And, and I was blessed to have a, a head coach that was willing to explore this when we had the situation in, in 2015. We, we had an athlete that was ready to wash out, that was ready to not achieve. And, but the intervention was essentially, okay, let's start treating this kid more like a racehorse and not like a pack horse. Um, well, it's, it's, it's being able to find that indicator because, you know, you get a whole, you know, the genetic uh, deviation, differentiation that comes in is significant. And we, and, and the beauty of readiness and the beauty of the things that you do with your product give coaches the ability to identify who is maladapting to the program. So you can then take a step back and say, okay, why is this happening? Um, because you can't, you can't solve everything by going to the whip. Every once in a while, you just got to keep them in the barn and feed them and, and, and give them some time to recover. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And, you know, wrestling, as, as you're well aware and many listeners may be well aware, is one of the most conditioning intensive, physically intensive sports out there. And it's not to say that other sports aren't as well, especially when you get to the top levels. But specifically, mm-hmm. the workload is huge in wrestling and in fight sports. So. Yeah, combat sports are, are interesting from that standpoint, and um, and the the unique thing about combat sports, um, you know, listen, track and field athletes train really hard too. I don't want to, you know, I mean, I'm, this idea of separating one sport from another, I don't think is appropriate. But um, but what's unique about wrestling is that we have to, tr- we cannot afford to have a weak domain. We can't afford to be weak in any area, or that's how you get beat. Um, 
So we have, we're constantly trying to reinforce the weakness, but at the same time, train your strength. Because I, you know, I tell my kids, you know, you, you lose on your weakness, you win on your strengths. Uh, so we have to explore that, you know, where is that weakness, whether it's out of the psychological domain, physiological domain, or skill domain. Um, we've got to figure out where that problem is. And, um, and maybe, you know, if everything else is strong, you look and say, do we, you know, do we need to figure out a way to put a measurement on, on one of these things? Well, uh, Don, I think we've covered a lot of great topics, and I think this is going to be an instant favorite from the listeners. I think I really appreciate you sharing all of this stuff with us today and taking the time to come. On my the show. pleasure. Um, no, it's my pleasure. Great. Well, we'll wrap it up here, and um, I bet folks will have questions, comments. Um, you know, we post the show notes and links to all the stuff that Don has shared and that we've talked about over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. All the notes are there. And uh, Don, uh, do you, can people find you publicly or, or? Yeah, if you Google Don Moxley, I, um, I'm i Don Moxley on Twitter. I'm Don Moxley on Instagram. I'm Don Moxley at Facebook. And um, if you want to email me, Don Moxley at gmail.com. There you go. And uh, we'll wrap it up there and uh, feel free to send comments and, and everything. And uh, much appreciated, Don. We'll, we'll talk soon. My pleasure. You're doing a great job. I really like what you guys do. So keep up the good work. <laughs> Thanks. Much appreciated. It's a big honor coming from you. Thank you. Hey, folks, Jason here before signing off. There is some incredible information in that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, Don has agreed to come back on the shows already so fantastic he's also going to be covering next time around some of the ways that more normal people like the rest of us who are not elite athletes can utilize some of the same information um, there's some great information in there about high performance training that you can definitely trickle down to your own experimentation and use um, but he's also going to talk specifically about um, training at non-elite levels as well. So super excited to have him on it for that. If you have any questions specifically for him, go ahead and send us a tweet or an email at support at elitehrv.com or hit up the comments section on iTunes or at elitehrv.com slash podcast. And final note before signing out is a reminder that the Core Sense, our new HRV sensor, is live now on Kickstarter. It is the accurate finger sensor for heart rate variability that's kind of shaking up the game of measuring heart rate variability without a chest strap. So all the details, videos, and charts can about that can be found over on Kickstarter, or you can just go over to EliteHRV.com, and we have links for that everywhere. It's called CoreSense. Hope you enjoyed that episode, and I look forward to sharing more with you. And this is Jason Moore signing out. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit HRVCourse.com to get access today.